the College Planning Edge. Multiply your odds of getting into your dream college and get your hands on thousands of dollars of fat, juicy scholarships. Brought to you by Lockwood College Prep, helping college-bound families get the edge in college admissions, financial aid, scholarships, and test prep. Welcome to another episode of the College Planning Edge. I'm Andy Lockwood, and this is a podcast for stressed-out parents of teens who are headed toward the college mess, college admissions, college financial aid, test prep, and all sorts of related stuff. And today, we're switching gears a little bit away from some of the stuff we usually talk about, which is kind of more tactical in in nature, I guess. You know, a lot of times we talk about how to save money on college scholarships, financial aid, the formulas, essays, that type of stuff. But instead, um, today, I want to talk about something that's a little bit bigger picture. And I'm lucky enough to have a uh, client and a friend on the phone to talk about test anxiety and other anxiety facing college-bound teens today. So with me is Sandy Woods, who is a psychotherapist. Hello, Sandy. Hello. So we can hear each other great. We had a little conference call uh, regularity before, stemming from me giving you the wrong codes. No problem. Uh, (laughs) It's part of the hazing we do here. (laughs) So just just to make you a little more anxious before we talk about anxiety. Exactly. I, yeah. And it worked, but it's good. all all good. Okay. So uh, so before I start um, firing away some, some questions, can you just give us like a, you know, an executive summary of your your background, your professional background in uh, in psychotherapy? Sure. Well, I started out as a uh, counselor in the LIU post-campus counseling unit, and I worked there for three years, and then I opened up my own private practice down the road, basically, from LIU, uh, and I've been there coming up on five years. Now, when you were at Long Island University post, did you see a lot of college students? It was all college students. It was for them. Okay. And what what types of issues um, did, did you see with them? And I'm curious, is that any different from, you know, what you, what you, who you now counsel? Well, at LIU, it was a lot of depression, a tremendous amount of anxiety, um, some suicidality, that kind of thing. Uh, the, uh, it was a high-stress environment, and uh, it was reflected in who we spoke to. Um, anxiety about academics, uh, things like that. And uh, when I went on to my own private practice, I ended up really um, honing in on that, that community. So I really work with 18 to 25-year-olds, and the majority of my practice is with uh, depression and anxiety in that age group. Okay. So one of the things I wanted to, I guess that sort of spurred this whole idea of, um, of uh, peer pressuring you onto the podcast <laughs> was, was to uh, you know, kind of help kids who were getting stressed out about just taking the tests because we, just, we see it all the time when kids are studying for the ACT or the SAT. A very common phenomenon is that they'll do great on practice tests so I'm thinking of one, uh, I could, there's dozens of examples I could probably pull up, but I, I, I have one example of a, um, uh, a girl who's a senior right now as we speak, and she was being recruited as a student athlete, as a, as a crew um, athlete, by some you know, pretty, um, pretty high-end Ivy or near Ivy caliber colleges, and she needed a certain 
uh, ACT score, like a, like a 30, I think, to be on that coach's list because they have all kinds of requirements like, you know, an academic index type of balancing where certain, you know, athletes have to have, on the team, have to have an average um, GPA and an average score that's sufficient for the mm-hmm. standards. And she was scoring, uh, she probably taken the test maybe four or five times and she kept doing well on the practice test, you know, above the minimum requirement but not well at all on the actual test. She'd be around 23, 24. And it seemed very obvious to me and, and my tutor, Marissa, that she you know, was simply you know, choking or you know, not, not maybe self-sabotaging, just not doing her best on the actual test. And we, we, we kind of threw around a bunch of armchair psych, you know, psychology type of explanations for it, including mm-hmm. uh, maybe it's the parents, you know, the mom and the dad who are stressing them out, which we observed also. Mm-hmm. But you, you see stuff like this all the time. Like, what do you, what do you, can you just walk, walk me through some of the causes and, and then maybe give some tips on how, you know, how kids and, I guess, parents can deal with it? Sure. Okay, so in particular with this student, it sounds like she did all the prep work and all of the, the work prior to get used to the test and kind of become immersed in the test. But when she hit the actual day, her anxiety ratcheted up, and she probably was playing a head game with herself, talking herself all, through all the worry and concern and catastrophizing this test to the point where she probably would start to blank out. And probably. Yeah, I mean, who knows? But she, she definitely put the work in. It wasn't a question of being lazy and not, you know, not doing the work in between the tests. Right, right, exactly. And, and that would be the number one thing that, that I would say to work on first is get really, really used to the test. I have a, a client right now who I'm working with, and he was sitting for a licensing exam for his chosen uh, profession. And he's 22 and had just graduated, was working in the field. And this licensing exam, if he passed, would allow him to keep his job. And he got to the point where he was no, he knew everything in and out, but when he sat for his first exam, the, the, the worry about what it meant not to pass this test caused him to completely freak out every time he came up to a, 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 an example that he didn't understand. And then that just kind of grew and grew, and his a- anxiety grew and grew, and he stopped thinking well, and he failed that first test. And so we had to work together to get his confidence back up and to not catastrophize the, whether or not he can pass this next test because that was creating so much agony inside of him that he stopped being able to study for it. For this, you know, he could, had to wait 60 days for the next test. Um, and so we kind of examined what his thoughts were, uh, what, was, what was he thinking while he was studying, and that's what was happening. He was thinking to himself, oh, my gosh, if I don't pass this, then I'll lose my job, and then I'll never get the next job, and I'll never pass again. And we worked on calming him. Self, you know, he had to learn how to self-soothe, breathe through all of those thoughts, and really focus. He had to take himself out of where he was studying and go to a, the library because when he would sit in his room, there were a zillion things he could do to, to stop himself from studying. And, uh, but really what it was was the thoughts that were, were killer to him because he just became overwhelmed by worry. And when you sit in worry, you can't act. And so we would just take out, I, I had him think to himself, okay, what is the worry? The worry is that you are, if you don't pass this test, then you'll never work in the field. Then you're, you suck as a, you know, in his chosen profession. And that's how he, that's what he was thinking. And I kind of put him back into the reality of, well, you are, um, you have already passed, you know, you've already done beautifully in school. You're already working in the field. 
you know what you're doing. You need to calm yourself down and focus on just this test because this test had absolutely nothing to do with the, the kind of work he was going to be doing. It was that he had to study for this particular test. So once we got you know, rid of all those worries about him being able to do what he needed to do or be able to do what he wanted to do, he calmed himself down, and he would calm himself down throughout the test. If he came across a question that he didn't know, he would take a deep breath, count to five, let it out for six, and move on and not let it, him derail, you know, not let it derail him. And he ended up passing the test. Uh, that's great. So, so first of all, I didn't even know that catastrophize was a word, so thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and, so I'm already learning stuff. And um, I guess second, my, my, I was just thinking that I, I bet that a lot of the conversations you have with kids like him, or I know you're going to, Tell me a little bit about a student athlete you have, and I think a, a, a musician too, right? Yes, yeah. Okay. I bet, but a lot of the times they're not even aware of this negative self-talk that that's going on through their heads. And and I, am I right? Do you have to you have to help them recognize that before they? Can yes, because move often on? the first thought is I'm afraid to fail, but they don't realize what that how far that goes because they're afraid to fail the test. But then they've thought to themselves, well, if I fail the test, that means that I'm not good enough or that I can't do what I want to do. And then that goes to, for the rest of my life, I'll never be able to do what I want to do. And those are paralyzing thoughts. So whenever I work with somebody with anxiety, the first thing I ask them is, what are your thoughts around this? And I think when you mentioned the parents that were anxious, the parents around this testing cycle of you know, getting into college and what the SATs and the ACTs mean, they don't realize that what their biggest concern is, am I a good parent? Am I doing right by my kid? So if the kid isn't doing well, they don't even realize that they're saying to themselves, oh my gosh, I have failed them. And I need to step this up so that I'm not failing them, that I'm getting a report card as a parent based on what the kid gets on the SAT. And that's not the case at all. But because you haven't thought to yourself, oh, my gosh, my thought is if the kid doesn't do well in the SAT, then he'll never get into a good college. And if he doesn't get into a good college, he'll never get a job. And if he never gets a job, he's going to end up in my house at age 30, and I have to call the cops to get him out. <laughs> and, you know, as a parent, I really appreciate this because when my daughter was four, she refused to get into other people's cars. And I had people saying to me, oh, my gosh, if you don't get her to go into somebody else's car, she's not going to grow emotionally, and she's too attached to you. You're too enmeshed together. And if she can't separate from you, then she'll never be able to go into high school and certainly never go on to, you know, and I, my brain went on to, oh, my gosh, I'm going to have a kid who's, who I have created to be too close to me and won't ever be able to launch. And, you know, I would put her in a car. She would be crying and get so upset. One time she threw up in somebody's car, and I thought, what am I doing? Why am I putting all of this pressure on this four-year-old kid getting into somebody else's car? So you know what I did? I stopped pressuring her to do it, and I just let her be. And if she didn't want to get into somebody else's car, I wouldn't force her. And now we are, you know, she's turning 18, and she's the one tooling around town picking up people and dropping them off. And she's just fine, and she doesn't, she's not attached at my hip. But Did my you, thought um, at that time at age four and what everybody was telling me was, oh, my gosh, if I don't solve this problem now, her whole life will be ruined. That's catastrophizing. 
and, and this is the daughter you just told me about who all by herself took the bus at age 18 to do from New York to Boston to audition and other parents were saying you're crazy for letting her do that on her own. Eve, it what still goes on. Yes. Other parents said to me, how could you let your daughter get on that you know, actually, she got on the train to go up to Boston. How could you let her do that by herself? Why aren't you supporting her enough? She's going to be so nervous because she had to audition. This is her first audition, you know, for um, she wants to be an actor. And so I, I had to say to them, you know what, I've got to put my blinders up. I'm, you know, I'm, I, I'm trained in this, and I deal with anxiety all the time. And yet people can still weasel their way into my ear. And I, I think to myself, oh, my gosh. And, did I, and I thought to myself, am I doing the right thing by her? And I thought, you know what, what's the goal here? The goal is to have her have confidence in herself. You know, the minute she got on that train, she got off that train, she got into her, that audition, she felt like she could do it, you know? That, that, was, that was so much more important than me holding her hand and being this, you know, support. I am a support system to her, but I don't need to be with her constantly to do that. Yeah, that's a long way from vomiting in someone else's car. So mm. that, that, that's a yeah, way. we're not going to um, name names. <laughs> another, <laughs> um, another, uh, I guess, theme that I, that I pick on, pick up on a lot in terms of the parent report card, you know, yes. uh, theory, is that I, which I think corresponds to that is I, I feel like a lot of parents feel shamed um, or ashamed, not necessarily of their kids, but probably of themselves, if they don't have these outward successes like yeah. getting into you know a good college or um, a lot of times um, not having saved enough money for college I hear that a lot when I talk to parents initially or somehow feeling that they let the kids down in, in some other key area yeah so I, I think this this all has to be in that anxiety you know power pack Somewhere. Absolutely. And even if you're not telling your kids that you're anxious, they know it. They can pick it up. They can feel it. So you really got to work on that yourself because this idea that, oh, my gosh, we, we should have saved every single penny for college, it's, it's very difficult to do nowadays. But, and, but, and when you hear people kind of give you that humble brag, I heard somebody recently humbly brag that, you know, my kid is so ungrateful ungrateful. Uh, we can pay for her college outright, and, sh- and uh, she doesn't appreciate that. And I thought, okay, all I got out of that was you can pay for your kid's <laughs> college outright. That's all I heard in that sentence. Yeah. Uh, and of course, I turned around and thought, oh, I suck. That, you know, um, We got to stop listening to that and just keep moving forward and do the best you can. Everything is a learning experience, and these kids are going to have to learn about money themselves anyway and having an honest conversation with them so they know, you know, what, what they're up against and how you can support them. And you're, you're not going to just send them out and uh, they're going to be in debt for the rest of their lives. You're certainly going to help them figure out how to manage the debt and all of that stuff. Uh, it's not over at age 18 when they walk out the door. You're a parent for a lifetime. Yeah. Many, in many aspects, it starts then. Yeah. So, um, okay, so let's talk a little bit about um, the sweaty musician. Okay, I have a musician. Now, he is 27, and he is very talented, has been a guitar player since he was a, a child, and he teaches guitar to kids. He is, uh, he's in a band, and he's going to graduate school to get his master's. He's incredibly talented. Yet, when 
he had to do a recital for his masters, he became so anxious about this performance, he, and he has been struggling with performance anxiety for some time. And it doesn't matter how he he knows these pieces backwards and forwards, but still, when he would uh, attempt to play in front of people, he would get really, really anxious. And then, if he made a wrong note, he would feel like, "Oh my gosh, I am." Uh, terrible. I, I am a terrible uh, guitar player. And then, of course, his thoughts were, well, if I can't perform in front of people, then I'll never be able to do anything with my music, and, and I have to choose another career. And that's where he went down the whole rabbit hole. And so when we worked together, um, a lot of it was recognizing that he, is, um, he does know the pieces, so he's going to have to relax about that. He needed to, have, uh, to perform in front of people often, in order to get over that idea that I have to be perfect. That was the killer for him. He, he was a perfectionist. Um, and so if the piece wasn't perfect, he would start to, um, to freak out and, and, of course, go down that, the idea that he couldn't do this for a living. He also said that um, when he would start playing, he would start to perspire. And his uh, hands would, sh- would sh- you know, fall off the, or slide off the, um, the frets. And so, um, so we talked about sort of a game plan prior to going into your performance and, or your performances. And he, he, he found a long sock that he pulled up his arm and he cut off the, the hand part of it that would allow his, his arm to rest on the guitar so that he wouldn't perspire there. And we talked a lot about, okay, so if you miss a note, these guys don't know what it's supposed to sound like. You just have to keep going. And the goal was to finish, not to be perfect, but to get through the whole thing. So he would have a checklist before he got to any performance. He would have his water. He would have the sock. He would scope out the room and know where he was going to sit and who was going to be there. And then he would talk to himself and say, this is not for the rest, and this is not, if I don't do well here or if it's not perfect, that doesn't mean I can't do what I want to do as a professional musician. And um, a lot of self-soothing. He also expected to not be nervous because we were talking about anxiety. He just figured, okay, I'm going to beat anxiety. You're not going to beat anxiety. Anxiety is going to be there. So when he would walk in and he would feel anxious, he thought, oh, forget it. I'm not going to be able to do it. And we talked about the fact that a little bit of anxiety keeps you honest. It keeps you working toward your goal. Too much anxiety is paralyzing. But having a little bit of anxiety is going to get your adrenaline up and it's going to make you super aware. And you're just going to have to say to yourself, okay, anxiety is going to sit with me here, but I'm not going to let him move in and cause me to worry and not be able to to complete my task. And uh, each step he would take, each time he performed this, uh, these songs, and each time he recognized it didn't have to be perfect and he still got through it and people still applauded and he was still wonderful, he finally got to his uh, recital and he was able to go through the whole thing and he even said he did well, which is something I'd never heard him say. Now, did you, did you also ask him or um, talk to him about visualizing his, his performance, like you know, running through it ahead of time, mentally rehearsing it? Absolutely. That was a big one. But, you know, he was so well-versed in it. He reminds me a little bit of that first student that you had mentioned because he could do this backwards and forwards in his sleep. He would sit in my office and he would perform it for me and, it, and he was happy with it. Um, it was just when he was performing that he would think, this is my report card. And if I don't do well here, that means I can't do well forever. So, so what if you're a um, performing artist, um high school kid looking to get into a music program in college and you are going to be judged on your audition how would you um what advice would you, or or like your daughter like an actress 
um, who's looking, you know, looking to audition and, and win a part. How, um, how would you, you know, how, how would you coach them? Well, there's so many things that go into play for for a part. You couldn't. You may not look right. You may not sound right. You you may not walk right. There are so many other things that are out of your control. You can only focus on what you can control. So you can't project that whatever's going on when you're auditioning, what does that mean? If, if I don't get into this program, then that means I can never be an actor. You know, so basically it's, look, you just go in there. You, you, you've already worked out how to do it. You do the best that you can. You walk out, and you don't let anything stop you. Because if they say, no, 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 I can't tell you how many actors I've seen say, oh, my gosh, I got 1,500 no's and only one yes. Well, if you're going to be in this sort of business, you've got to weather the nose, and you can learn from everything. But you can't make every single time you uh, get a rejection, the, the mean, that can't mean that you can never do this. Because if you really want it, you figure out a way. And it doesn't necessarily have to be the route that you actually think it's going to be. You, know, you have to open your mind to all the possibilities. There are plenty of actors out there who do commercial acting, or they do local theater, or they... Um, uh, you know, do regional theater. Uh, you don't have to become a Hollywood actor to be considered a success. You open up your own children's theater and you can still continue to do it. You know, you have to kind of not feel like there's only one path. Once you get locked into the one path, that's it. Because you feel like you, you, you get one rejection, then you're derailed. And I think that's a lot of this too with the college thing. If, if you think you have to go to one school and that's the school that's going to make you happy, well, it's going to make you unhappy because let's just say you, you, all your dreams come true and it's not perfect, then how are you going to weather that? I think the point is you have to have multiple ideas of how you're going to accomplish your goal and keep, your, keep it flexible at all times. So, yeah, I like what you're saying about also, uh, you know, if you're not chosen for something, that doesn't mean necessarily it's a reflection on you. It's there's all these things that you can't control. And yeah. I also uh, constantly tell kids that you know that I coach that there's really no correlation at all between how successful you are after college and where you went to college. There's no yes. scientific or other mm-hmm. rational basis for that. In fact, there's opposite. Um, if anything, there's op- you know, opposite indicators of that, and there's more than one path to being successful, however you define that. But if it's in terms of you know making a lot of money or something, it really doesn't matter whether you went to Harvard or possibly whether you didn't even go to college. There's all kinds of examples of both types of people who are extremely successful. So I don't know if that ever really you know sinks in um, the way I would like to see it, but I will. I can also tell you just from our own practice. You know, Pearl, my wife, does all you know all the financial aid forms, and she's working through I think uh, number two hundred <laughs> somewhere as, as we speak for this season, and we see the you know objective measurements of at least monetary success from clients from all walks of life, doctors, lawyers, accountants, as well as um, bar owners, uh, contractors, plumbers you name it, and many in that latter category are, A, doing better financially than the so-called professionals who are highly educated, and B, many of them didn't even go to college, or if they did, they went to you know, just community college or, mm-hmm. or, or quote-unquote lesser colleges. So I don't see any correlation or rational basis for it, but I guess that's not really what we're talking about. Well, in a way, you, we are, because anxiety is all about the fear of what might happen, not what has happened. And so when you are worrying about whether or not you do well in your SATs that will get you into that right college that gets you into that right career, 
you have to say to yourself, look, you know, the SAT, you have to say to yourself, I want to get where I want to get to, and there are multiple ways to get there. And just because I didn't do it that one way that everybody tells you is the only way to go, that doesn't mean I can't make it there. I mean, I studied history in college. It's got nothing to do with psychology. I put myself to graduate school when I was in my later 20s because I, I was trying to figure out what to do with the rest of my life. There are many, you know, you can do, I was in publishing before that. That doesn't, just because you think you're going to, that's actually a big part of my practice are people who felt like I had to study this one thing and I didn't like it, I didn't do well in it, and now what am I going to do with the rest of my life? There's so much pressure to figure out what you want to do for the rest of your life. How can you possibly know at 18, at 22, at 28 sometimes? You've got to be flexible. You have some grit. I think you can narrow it down, and that's an important first step. But yes, eighty um, percent of kids change majors just statistically. So even if you do the and, and actually, by, by the way, the first our first step when we coach kids one on one is to spend time trying to narrow it down with you know, an assessment and a career counselor and all that. But even so, it's never let's pick the one thing. Right. Within that narrowing down, there could be four, three or four things that you could do that you'd be fabulous at, and then you choose among the four which one you're going to currently follow, right? But at least it's your choice, you know? It's your choice, and you don't have to make it at age 18, but you can go in with a, a game plan and a plan B and a plan C and a plan D, and mess around within that cluster, I think that's a good way to, to, to Absolutely. Do it. I totally agree with you. You're absolutely right. I think a lot of the worry that I see, too, is these kids feeling like they don't know what they want to do for the rest of their lives. And it is nice to be able to say, okay, what do you like? What are you good at? Well, within this field that you like, you know, I didn't even know there was a job where people that make up languages for, um, for uh, you know, uh, made up, um, you know, like in a Game of Thrones, they're people that actually write those languages for the for the different types of uh, groups that are created, and that's I had no idea somebody did that. Yeah. Somebody would read J.K. Rowling's books and make sure she was on target with the information. I had no idea there was that kind of job either. She had, yeah. they had to know the books better than she did. That's so, crazy. yeah. So there is a lot. I think that, but the point is, when we're talking about anxiety, you got to loosen up a little bit about your expectations. And then you can see there's so many options within your chosen field and uh, see, what, see what happens. Good. All right, so well, let's go to the student-athlete uh, area. You, uh, I think you told me when you were at Post you had a, was it a field hockey player? She was a, yes, she was a field hockey person, and she was going uh, on scholarships to field hockey. So there was a lot of pressure for that. And actually, she had an injury the year before, and she was coming back onto the field. So that injury kind of made her feel insecure, and that's what provoked the anxiety that started. But she was now a senior, and uh, she, she would go into a game, and if she, had, um, if she didn't do a, a pass that, that was uh, well accepted, you know, what am I saying, well accepted, the pass that was actually um, you know, completed, she would worry then for the rest of the game whether or not she, she was good enough, and that derailed her completely in her performance. So we had to get her back on track of, okay, let's look first with the thoughts, because athletes are all in their heads, and, and it's all a mind game. And so she would say, okay, well, if I don't make this pass, then I'm not going to make the next pass. I'm not going to make the next pass. So we had to calm her down and talk to her about, or I had to calm her down, and talk to her about, okay, so you make one pass that's not completed. Well, it's not just you out there. It's your entire team, too. You're not the only person that's, you know, playing this game. 
And just because one pass isn't completed, that doesn't mean the next pass isn't going to be completed. And you've got to kind of reset each time and not, of course, catastrophize that you're, uh, that you're losing the game for everybody. She also worried about what other people were thinking about her. And uh, she didn't even realize that's what she was thinking. It would just come into her head and she thought it was true. So we talked about that. What other people are thinking about you? Well, where is that coming from and what does that mean? And who is actually thinking these thoughts and are they really thinking these thoughts? So we worked a lot on being in the moment of the game and not uh, projecting out um, to a place where she was going to uh, fail, basically. So she would... She would get ready for the game. She would talk herself, you know, she would calm herself down. She would stop these thoughts about what other people are thinking, and she would just play point for point. You know, any game is about um, minimizing mistakes, any any sport. And there's yeah. every, every game has mistakes, and the team that deals with them the best is usually the one that, that wins. So that's why, that's why uh, you know, batters in baseball, the, you know, the best ones only only reach, you know, reach base three times out of ten. Mm. You, know, you can get in the Hall of Fame if you bat 300. And uh, why Michael Jordan, you know, missed, I don't know, several hundred last-minute, uh, last-second shots and over, over his career. So everyone makes mistakes. It's a question of, like, what do you do next? So I think that's uh, very interesting that she was beating herself up about that. Was, was any of the pressure coming um, externally from coaches or from her parents because I see that a lot too I have um, I heard one story which you know normally I wouldn't even believe this but I, I, it was substantiated by a couple other uh, of my clients that there was um, a dad who literally grounded his daughter wouldn't let her you know go to a party if she didn't uh, score in her soccer game that, that day oh wow um, yeah I mean that was a habitual thing. It wasn't just a once, a once, a once in a while type of thing. So, do you ever, uh, do you ever see that, you know, coming into play, the parents and external forces affecting the athlete? Absolutely. This one, her, the pressure was to keep her scholarship because that's what was paying for college. So, um, you know, that's a lot of pressure to put on you. I, I, but I, what I would say to her is, you know, you're the one who got the scholarship, and that you are contributing financially with the scholarship. So that kind of put her into a position where she felt more in control of it. You know, that she thought to herself, oh, this is true. I may not be paying for college myself personally, but my scholarship is helping to pay for college. And that made her own it a little bit more and less on about the parents' pressure because she thought to herself, so if I choose to stop uh, this scholarship, you know, let's say I choose to stop playing, I can still go to school with my own debt, you know, that if they're not going to help me, because that was the concern. If you can't pay for college with your scholarship, then you won't be able to uh, continue with college because they weren't going to pay for it. But I calmed her down and put it into her control. And I said to her, look, you've got a, you know, six months left. Let's talk about how much that would cost if that was the case, if you felt like you wanted to stop even though that really wasn't on our mind stopping, but it was so much pressure. We just kind of lived in that possibility for a little while, and she said, oh, I could do it. I could stop this now, and I could pay for college. And she kind of took it out of the parents' kind of pressurized zone because she had options. Yeah, I guess if you're looking at what you know, she might consider the worst-case scenario and it turns out to be not that bad, then that can't help but reduce the, the stress. Yes. So much of this anxiety is you feel like it's out of your control. Once you start to look at things 
in a way where, oh, wait a second, let's say the worst does happen and I, I, I lose a scholarship. Well, then what? And then when the, when the, the consequences are manageable, then you, you kind of take it out of that um, really scary zone. So. That's great. All right. Well, that's great advice. So, so we're running out of time here. So, uh, let me just ask if people are interested in connecting with you. Um, number one, do you work only with local people, and and if not, then how can they? You know, can you do Skype? Can you do FaceTime? Just, just. Tell I absolutely can do Skype and FaceTime. I I de- need to do that in a way where. Um, uh, how can I – basically, um, I have to work within my license, and that's within New York State. Mm-hmm. I do work with kids outside of the state, but I would need to see them in person when they come in. So let's say I've got somebody who's, who's a, a student in Maryland. Uh, if she comes in and sees me, I can work with her, and then I can talk to her on the phone a little bit. But a, in terms of my um, license and working with somebody with some severe anxiety, it needs to be local. Interesting. And antiquated. <laughs> so, Too bad, right? I know. Yeah, uh, I know. Uh, it's very interesting. Okay. So, so, uh, so how do people get in touch with you, uh, phone number, email? They can uh, give me a call at uh, 516-220-7041. That's my direct line. And what about email and website? You can email me at sandywoods.com. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Sandywoods. <laughs> Sandywoods.therapy at gmail.com. That's my... Is it sandywoods.therapy? Yes, sandywoods.therapy at gmail. Okay. And my website is sandywoodstherapy.com. All right, so 516-220-7041 or sandywoods.therapy at gmail.com and Mm -hmm. sandywoodstherapy.com. Right. Cool. All right. Well, thank you. Uh, I learned a lot. I think this is very helpful. I hope um, I hope parents uh, take this information and help their kids with it. I know I'm going to suggest to all of our clients that they listen to this, and um, I hope people reach out to you. And, uh, get thank you very much for the opportunity. This is really great. I also talk to parents about their own anxiety. I don't just work with this age group. So if anybody's really concerned and freaking out and upset about the way they're handling stuff, I certainly could talk to them about their own anxiety. Yeah, there might be some parents feeling anxious. I don't know. <laughs> one or two. <laughs> Just one or two, exactly. All right, great. Okay, so, uh, so thanks a lot for listening to this episode of the College Planning Edge podcast. And if you have any um, follow-up questions, uh, if you want to review the show notes from this episode, just go to our website, LockwoodCollegePrep.com, and click on podcast. All right. Bye-bye, Sandy. Thanks. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Hi, this is Andy Lockwood. Don't forget to visit our website, LockwoodCollegePrep.com, for some more free, valuable information on how you can multiply your chances of admission to your dream colleges and qualify for thousands or tens of thousands of dollars of fat, juicy scholarships along the way. Visit LockwoodCollegePrep.com for information on our free upcoming workshops and webinars and to download a copy of our number one best-selling book, How to Pay Wholesale for College. That's LockwoodCollegePrep.com. Bye-bye.